Hello listeners, a friendly reminder that the companies and topics discussed on this podcast are general advice only. Please consult an advisor or accountant for any personal advice. What is up and thank you very much for tuning into this week's episode of the Market Pulse podcast. You are listening to episode 37, the 90% effective edition. Well, it was quite a, it was really another good week for the ASX coming off the back of the good week beforehand. So we'll we'll start with that straight away. The ASX 200 this week was actually up 3.5%, so pretty good. So our our index uh, doing quite well. And again, like I just said, that's coming off a big week prior. So remember last week we were up about 4.4%. So uh, another, another really strong showing for our local markets. Uh, most of that came in the start of the week. It, it kind of petered off, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a sec. But over in the US, the S&P 500 was up 2.2%. So that's the S&P 500. The NASDAQ, however, that was down 0.6%. So, and interestingly enough, I mean, I don't ever, as I've said, I don't really ever cite the Dow Jones on this podcast or the Dow. So the Dow was actually up 4.1%. And I was reading on MarketWatch that this is actually the biggest outperformance the Dow has had weekly against the NASDAQ since 2002. Uh, Because the Dow generally is pretty close to the same performance as the S&P 500 for the most part. Um, but the the Nasdaq was the one that sort of let investors down this week. But let's jump into it. And the well, the biggest driver for markets this week came at the very beginning on Monday, and that was news about a COVID nineteen vaccine. This news came from Pfizer, which is one of the world's biggest drug or pharmaceutical companies. They have been working on a vaccine for many months and developing a vaccine, and they said that it is over ninety percent effective based on their early analysis. Specifically, Pfizer actually ran a trial with 44,000 people where they give, or they gave half of them this vaccine and then half, I guess, just some kind of mixture of salt water. But people like the patients and the doctors don't didn't know what was what. And so out of the 44,000, there was 94 people that got sick with COVID-19. And I've taken a bit... A bit more information here, there's there's a quote coming from the New York Times from the start of the week, quote, the company Pfizer, that is, said that the analysis found that the vaccine was more than 90% effective in preventing the disease among trial volunteers who had no evidence of prior coronavirus infection. If the results hold up, that level of protection would put it on par with highly effective childhood vaccines for diseases such as the measles. No serious safety concerns have been observed, the company said. The New York Times sort of further pointed out in their writing that this was more of a news release or a news update from the company. This was not like this was not like a proper publication in some like you know clinically reviewed journal or anything at this stage. So there's kind of still a lot of eyes on Pfizer for over the coming weeks for them to release additional data. They're hopeful that all goes to well. They can get the FDA to sort of emergency push this through for approval and have 50 million doses available by the end of the year. So that was a huge sugar hit for the markets. And what you saw, well, really what you saw this week was a lot of the stocks that have been very much beaten down in 2020 by the pandemic. The travel sector, for example, 
tra travel and leisure stocks, for example, an obvious one. You saw them actually rally quite a lot off the back of this news. Investors getting a, a little bit more optimism, I suppose. Like I said at the top, it did kind of peter off towards the end of the week because, I mean, there's still there's still no solid ground made in terms of a second US stimulus bill, which would help shore up confidence. But, I mean, on that point, I guess, yeah, so even if you vaccinated everyone, say, tomorrow and it was all cured, that doesn't help, you know, the restaurant owner who had to close down six months ago because he's run out of money or, you know, someone that two months ago lost their job and they've been made permanently unemployed at the moment. So, right, so that there's still that kind of thing playing on markets and the fact that COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations, deaths, still trending this, the, the wrong way for the US and, of course, yeah, you've got major European countries in lockdown procedures or about to begin to curb the spread. So yes, in, I guess on one hand, you do have those vaccine hopes. On the other hand, the reality on the ground at this very moment is pretty grim. So I think that kind of rounded the market out towards the end of the week. But overall, it was, it was a positive week. I'd, I'm not one for believing that the sort of Trump shenanigans around election fraud uh, is or will affect the market. I think investors in the market broadly are just accepting the reality in that it was a close election and Biden has emerged as a clear winner. Trump is doing what he always does and he will continue to do that up until the day of inauguration in January and then he will gallivant off and keep doing his thing after that. I know there's a lot of talk about him starting his own sort of media network to rival the likes of Fox News. He will probably hire people like Kayleigh McEnany and Steve Bannon to be contributors and continue on doing that kind of stuff with the Trump brand. That's also why several episodes ago when I got asked about the question about elections and said that my investing personally hasn't been, well, I've never th thought about the election as a serious consequence to the to the investing side of things. It's just that for example, the last thing I bought, I think, was EML payments on the ASX a couple months ago. At no point did I think, or oh, oh, what will happen if Biden wins or what will happen if Trump wins or anything along those lines. I'm yet to be convinced that it matters at all, frankly. But but with the news of vaccines this week, our market here saw some, some, quite, some big jumps across certain sectors. Uh, the banks... Fed quite well. You got CBA up 4.8%. NAB uh, just over 8%. Westpac just over 3, 3.2%. ANZ up 5%. And then you also saw that filtering in probably even more so to travel related. Well, some of these are not so travel, but you got Transurban, which is a toll operator in Australia, up 7.9%. Sydney Airport up 13 or just over 13, Webjet almost 18% and Flight Centre almost 12% higher for the week. So big gains across the travel sector as well. You also saw gains in uh, the energy sector stocks, which have more or less bit, had a complete beatdown as well this year, especially after the, the oil price plunges that we saw as well. Now for these companies, I guess the logic behind them surging this week is that if you have a, an opened economy or a more opened economy, especially one where people like ourselves can take holidays interstate or go overseas and drive and fly a bit more often, that, that that demand for oil will pick up. 
And so because of that, you saw broadly speaking, our energy producers here in Australia have a really positive week. So Woodside Petroleum up 13.3%, Santos up 18%, Oil Search 30, massive, massive week for Oil Search. Uh, Beach Energy also up almost 24%. But one of the best performers actually for the whole week, I think it was second best technically, it was Unibail, Redamco, Westfield, which to make it simpler, let's, we'll just call them Westfield shares. But but it's not the Westfields here in Australia, confusingly enough. So this company, Unibail, Redamco, which is a European firm, acquired Westfield a, a couple of years back. But this is the US and UK Westfield centres. So the Australian and New Zealand ones that we know, they're owned by a listed, well, there's a listed company on the ASX called Centre Group. Centre is in S-C-E-N-T-R-E. Uh, and they are under ticker code SCG. So they are the ones, so if, for example, if you wanted to invest in the Australian Westfield centres, that's, the, I guess, the, the ticker code or the company you'd do it via. But Westfield shares, as in the Unibail Redemco ones, surged just over 31% for the entire week, which is actually a lot more than what Centre Group did. Then that's because Unibail Redemco Westfield, as their assets are basically... Well, they're actually located across, say, the US and, and EU, and they've been very hard hit, both both in terms of, you know, foot traffic and forced closures and the pandemic just smashing their businesses and their retailers. So news of a vaccine for them is, I guess, in some ways a bit more substantive than, say, our centre group here back in Australia, even though centre group also had a pretty good week. And I say that because centre group here, they gave a bit of a market update on this, you know, the, the Aussie and New Zealand Westfields. Uh, I think it was only about two weeks ago, but they said that 92% of its retailers or retail stores were now opened, which include Victoria at the time of them saying that. And overall visits to their sites across the quarter that just finished. So that would be July to September. They were about 90% of the volumes seen at the same time period last year. So they're almost... I guess they were almost back to what they were doing the same time last year. Although important to note that that specific uh, stat there actually excluded Victoria because that would have Victoria was very much in the lockdown during that period, so that would have weighed it down. I guess it was, it was a little strange like, to me is that well about the vaccine news when it happened, and you have the market overall speaking surging. But the other side of the reaction is that you have companies or shares like Zoom, as in the video conferencing software, Zoom, PayPal, Netflix, you had them fall quite heavily, or especially Zoom fell quite heavily when it first happened on Monday. And those kind of slumps sort of speak to why the NASDAQ didn't have a great week, but the sort of rest of the markets did. These are the ones that did so well this year because of their position during a pandemic, right? So you got Zoom, probably the best example because I don't think anyone had even heard of it before COVID and now everyone has or has <laughs> has used it or at least had heard of it. But these are all getting sold off and that's a bit of a weird one for me. I don't see why... I mean, there's probably... Probably what's going on is there's a bit of profit-taking. So there's, that, there's those people that had invested in these during the year and they've done quite well off the back of that. And maybe they're just selling down their position partially or fully to invest somewhere else. Maybe they're trying to sort of move their money from those stocks to the ones that are, I guess, hopefully going to have a bigger bounce 
when the economy opens. But I kind of find the thesis in terms of a long-term point of view of selling out of those stocks a little bit difficult to comprehend. I'm sure there can, you know, surely there can and there likely will be some short-term benefits to some of those ones that had such a good week, like the Westfields or like those retail stocks, banks, uh, travel, of course. But I think for certain things, I would say in terms of if you're looking at something like Zoom video conferencing, there is already a broader long-term trend in motion. So I wouldn't buy the idea that a company like Zoom is not projected to do well anymore now that there is a vaccine potentially, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But that is about the sort of week, broadly speaking. Also some interesting stuff throughout the week at a macro level. Uh, what also kind of, I guess, helped the market and provide or at least add on to that level of optimism here was there was a fair bit of data that came through regarding consumer confidence in Australia. There's a, there's a few, there's actually two here to look at. So I'll start with what's uh, from the Westpac and Melbourne Institute Australian Consumer Confidence Index. So this specific one, they survey people and look at how people are feeling about things such as the overall economic conditions of the country, you know, their feelings around whether they, I mean, how secure they might feel in their job or expectations of potential unemployment, maybe how they're feeling about their own finances right now, and then sort of compare that to, say, a year ago. There's various measures to look at what they call consumer confidence. This index by Westpac and the Melbourne Institute hit a seven-year high, and it's actually been increasing since April. It's measured on a monthly or released on a monthly basis, um, and so that's at a seven-year high. Interesting, I did say or I did see that that actual increase was not as profound among younger Australians, sort of around the 18 to 25 mark. It was more so in there's people in their 20, late 20s, 30s and 40s where that confidence had the biggest jump. The other one which we I know we've cited on the, this podcast is the ANZ slash Roy Morgan consumer confidence rating, which is a weekly one. So you can get this one every week. I don't talk about it every week, but you can get it every week. It had a big jump. Again, measuring very similar things about feelings, about, say, buying a major item. I guess a major item would be something like a car, for example, and how people feel about their finances versus a year ago. That measure was up the most in 11 weeks, and it's actually at an eight-month high now. So it's also been sort of increasing since lows back around March, April. It's still hovering below the long-term average of this consumer confidence index. So I guess you can see that as a bit of a negative, but it's it's getting there. It's it's coming up and these sort of positive news around, say, vaccines will, will no doubt help those. It's also backed up by a fair bit of card spending data, which was released by CBA during the week, and it shows that people are, again, spending... There's a pickup in spending overall, but especially in store spending. So no doubt that's actually fueling some of those retail stocks and and, and, and companies like Centre Group, for example. But we do have a few sort of company-specific stuff or some news that I've pulled up here to talk about for, from the week that was. might start with Ramsey Healthcare, which is an Australian-listed private healthcare provider, private hospital uh, provider. They, it's not just in Australia, though, so they, they have parts of their business that are located in areas like the UK and France. 
So not just here, but you might be aware of their brand here in Australia. Being a private hospital, it's not been a great year for them because they have been impacted by, you know, cancellations and build up of sort of, I guess, non-urgent uh, hospital needs or I guess elective surgeries and things like this. More so again, especially in uh, the UK and France, but they came to the market this week with a quarterly report. It was a, it wasn't great. There's some, I guess, some green shoots in there, but it wasn't like the most, the best news. I mean, Ramsey Healthcare shares are still, they're, they're close to sort of back to what they were at the start of the years. Well, but if I mean, if you look at it sort of right before the pandemic or the big crashes in the market. Um, sort of post-Feb and then going into March, they were trading closer to the high 70s, almost $80 a share. They sunk to as low as around the 50, 50 Australian dollars a share mark uh, during the worst of it. They are now back up to about $66 a share. I'm not sure if their quarterly report would give you much confidence to be rushing back into Ramsey Healthcare's if, you, if you're, say, a new investor or someone who was jumping into Ramsey for the first time. They did, uh, their revenue was up. Well, if you, so if you look at it with Victoria, it's up 1.5% for the quarter. So if you took out Victoria, it's a bit better at 6.6%. So a lot of the stuff that they talk about, they, they will say, but this is excluding Victoria. Obviously, the lockdown was much more severe over that quarter that we just had. Again, a couple other stats. They said surgical volumes at their Australian hospitals, again, excluding Victoria, bounced back 8% in the September quarter. They attribute that to a, I guess, a buildup in demand because, yeah, you have, say, people that held off or were put on bigger waiting lists for certain surgeries that could wait. And those patients have now actually returned to hospitals to get those elective surgeries done. Well, they flag additional costs in that because they've had to increase the amount of purchasing of protective equipment for their staff, of course, and to protect against screening against potential, you know, COVID infected patients that do enter hospitals. I guess another sort of external factor that you would think about if you were invested in in something like Ramsey Healthcare is the impact from the government side of things because their sites outside of Australia, so the ones in the UK, for example, the ones in France, they have to work with the governments there because of COVID at the moment. So as in, so I know they work with the NHS in the and the UK government in providing support uh, where they've had, say, like, you know, basically big outbreaks or big hospitalizations because maybe the public sector hospitals cannot handle it. They need to sort of rely on Ramsey Healthcare Hospitals to help out in terms of that capacity. The same thing is happening in France. So that's, uh, yeah, that's that's definitely been a big an impact on their business as well. Just pulling up their actual quarter, quarterly report that they did release to the market this week, you can sort of get a summary of, <laughs> I guess, of what I've already just said uh, from their manage, managing director and CEO, Craig McNally, who said in this report that their operating results continue to be impacted by the pandemic. This is regarding first quarter financial year 21. So the quarter just ended. Uh, this is because of surgical restrictions, regional outbreaks, lower demand for certain services, and then those higher costs associated with operating in that current environment. They also, if you skip down to the bottom, they said because of kind of all this and the sort of near-term uncertainties, 
they're not going to provide any guidance for financial year that we're in. But yeah, you can kind of guess, I guess, from the fact that they're not willing to give guidance, again, which is a common theme that we talked about through a lot of these companies, that's, I guess, where their mind is in the broader environment moving forward. I mean, long-term shareholders of Ramsey Healthcare have done pretty well. When I say long-term, I'm talking like five to 10 years. It's been a bit choppier in the last couple of years, but there's still been opportunities for some good value with Ramsey Healthcare. Again, I'm not sure if you'd be rushing in at this stage. Quite a lot of unknowns, really, when it comes to... not not, And I mean unknowns that this company probably... Well, they can't control. So that's why I wouldn't be rushing in. Another one I'm going to talk about is REA Group. I mean, this actually is probably a bit over a week old, actually, because it kind of been, should have been something I talked about in last week's podcast, but we'd already had enough that we we're talking about. REA, REA Group is listed on the ASX under REA. They are well, the most prominent, I guess, brand that you would know for REA Group is realestate.com.au. It includes other stuff, REA Group, like they have a commercial side, commercial property side to their business, as well as they have some investments in overseas, I think, it was only in the last couple of months that they, they, it looks like they were investing in something in India. So like similar business, but in India. But REA Group did have a pretty good week. We're up about 9% on Monday alone. Domain Group were up about 5.5%. You'll see that Domain and REA tend to move very similarly, even though they're not, they're not related in terms of they're not owned by the same people or anything like this. It's just that they're obviously in the exact same business as each other. So if something from a macro property point of view is going to affect realestate.com.au, it's sure enough going to affect domain. Now, it's not that these companies haven't had a tough, I guess their performance of their shares haven't had it tough during the year. Again, just like the rest of the market, they did fall quite substantially back in the sort of March or February to March era. Today, or well, they've closed the week out at $138.17 a share, but they were as low as the low 70s, like around the $72, $73 back in March. And that, and a lot of that came for good reason because there was, well, no one knew back then, and I guess no one really knows even right now, you know, how long the pandemic was going to last. What, how does this impact auctions? And how is, it, how is the property market going to be affected by, say, poor economic conditions people having to delay home loan payments, which we saw from the banks. So there's a fair bit of uncertainty around, yeah, what what does this do to the actual property market? But the other thing that's kind of helping to drive stocks like an REA, a domain, is the interest rates at the moment because we talked about the fact that the Reserve cut interest rates again down to effectively zero or close 2.10%. And the, obviously the hope is from, say, the reserve point of view and governments is they, they would like to stimulate some more lending. You've got the banks offering interest rates on fixed mortgages, what, like around the four-year mark or three to four years, so around the 1.99. You can I think you can even get cheaper than 1.99, but you've got that going on. So that's given a little bit of optimism boost to investors in REA Group and Domain, of course. But I'm going to talk about REA. There's a couple of interesting things that, well, this this I don't think I don't know if this is actually in REA's quarterly report the other week, but you because Nielsen, which is a media, well, I guess a media data company, so they can see 
you know, visits to websites, you know, how many, how much traffic is going to certain websites. It was tracked that during the latest quarter just finished, there was more than 12 million Australians visiting realestate.com.au each month across that quarter, which is 37% up more than the year prior. So that's, I guess, if that's anything to look at as a little bit of a point of or a bit of data, that that's a positive news there for REA shareholders. Now, that wasn't to say, again, like I talked about, sort of the year there was for a company like this wasn't tough. Their quarterly update that they did the other week showed that their actual revenue was slightly down by about 3% compared to the year prior, but they did also manage to quite heavily drop operating expenses, which fell by 18%. And a lot of that comes, I guess some of that toughness comes from Melbourne that's impacting their business because Melbourne's, aside from Sydney, one of the biggest, if not the biggest next to Sydney property market in Australia whilst during that quarter that just ended, Melbourne was going backwards because of the lockdowns, whereas the rest of Australia was starting to increase the amount of listings and, and, and things like that on their actual website. So given that Melbourne's coming out of the lockdown, given that rates are so low, there's a fair bit of optimism shining through on the actual REA share price, and that's come through this week. Another little point here that the... CEO actually talked about during that update. CEO, their group chief is Owen Wilson. They said that they weren't actually going to increase any of the prices for the various you know products and services that realestate.com.au provide uh, until at least until the end of the financial year next year. So that's REA Group and Ramsey Healthcare. But that is it for this week in terms of the Market Pulse podcast, episode 37. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you want to write into the show, ask a question, hear my opinion on things, if you want, <laughs> uh, you can. That is marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com. It's been, several, it's been a few weeks since I've had a question, so I'm more than happy for you to write in. Otherwise, I'll continue to pick interesting things that interest me. But I hope you have a good week. I hope you're having a good weekend. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Dion Gribben. I will see you next week. Cheers.